All right. Today, we're going to be talking about the Miller's prologue and tale. Uh, next time, we'll be talking about the Wife of Bath's prologue and tale. Now, the Miller's is the second tale in the Canterbury Tales. It follows the Knight's Tale, which we haven't read, but you can see in the prologue that everybody seemed to really enjoy the Knight's Tale. It says there was, in all the route, in all the group, there was not young nor old, uh, that he said it was a noble story and worthy for it to draw into memory, and namely, the gentles, everyone. So everybody liked it, and especially the gentility, the more upper-class characters. So the host likes it too, as he says, the game is well begun. In line 10, Now telleth ye, sire monk, if that ye can, somewhat to quite with the knight's tale. To quite, to requite, to repay. He says, have you got a topper for that? Now, notice he turns from the highest ranking member of one estate to another high ranking member of the clerical estate. But So that's the plan. It's supposed to go in a nice hierarchical order this way. But then the miller jumps in, and he's drunk. He says, the miller that for drunken was all pale, so that on eath upon his horse he sat. Um, he's he's not going to do it. And he's, he's talking loud, and he says, I will now quite the knight's tale. And the host tries to shut him up. He says, Abide, Robin, levy brother. Some better man shall tell us first another. Abide, and let us work him thriftily. Uh, now, we get the the, uh, the miller's name here. He's Robin. Um, and no, he's not going to do it. He's he's not going to take his turn. He's going to talk. He's, he knows he's drunk. And he says, I know, I know that I am drunk. I can tell it by my sound. Uh, but even so, you know, here, listen to this story. And he tells us, gives us a preview of the story. He says, uh, line uh, 33, For I will tell a legend and a life, both of a carpenter and of his wife, how that a clerk has set the rightest cap. That's another idiomatic expression, now that the clerk made a fool of the carpenter. He slept with his wife. Um, so at that, the reeve jumps in and says, Stint thy clap. That's a great way of telling somebody to shut up. Stint thy clap. Uh, he says, you know, you're, we don't want all your lewd, drunken harlotry. Uh, let, let somebody else do it. Now, it's interesting that the Reeve is the one who jumps in here. Uh, now, as I mentioned before, Millers and Reeves were kind of natural enemies in this society. Uh, the Millers were always cheating. The Reeves were always trying to catch them. Uh, but also, I think it's significant that the... The Reeve jumps in when he hears that the story is going to be about how a carpenter's wife was unfaithful. If you remember, if you look back at line 615 of the general prologue, you'll see that the Reeve was a carpenter when he was a younger man. So this may have hit a nerve with the Reeve. He may be uh, particularly upset at this kind of a story. And in fact, in the context of the of the Canterbury Tales, after the miller finishes his tale, the Reeve says, yeah, that's real funny. Well, I'm going to tell a story about a miller and how uh, the, the clerks came by and slept with his wife and his daughter. So that's even worse. 
so he's you know kind of very obviously trying to get back at Robin the Miller for telling this story about a, a carpenter whose wife was unfaithful. Um, and notice, you know, also the Reeve says, let's not talk about, you know, that uh, uh, being unfaithful in all of this. And the, the Miller says, line 44, uh, who hath no wife, he is no cuckold. Now, a cuckold, that's a name for a man who whose wife has is sleeping with another man, a cuckold. And said, look, if you're not married, you don't have to worry about being a cuckold. Uh, but then he goes on and says that, um, but I say not therefore that thou art one. I'm not, I'm not saying you're a cuckold. There being full uh, good wives, many a one, and ever a thousand good aeans, one bad. So there are m- many more good wives than bad ones. Uh, thou knowest thou well thyself, but if thou uh, mad, unless you're crazy, unless you're raving, why uh, art thou angry with my tale and now? I have a wife, pardie, as well as thou, yet nold I for the oxen in my plow take upon me more than enough as demon of myself that I were one. I will believe well that I am none. And what he's saying there is, look, I, I've got a, you have a wife, I have a wife, and I'm just going to go ahead believing that I'm not, that she's not sleeping with anybody. I don't want to, I don't want, if she is, I don't want to know. He says, a husband, line 55, an husband shall not be inquisitive of God's privite, nor of his wife, his wife. So he may find God's voice in there of the remnant, nadeth not inquire. So, First of all, he links, you know, says there are some things that man was not meant to understand, like the mysteries of God and women. Uh, and there's that word, one of the words I ask you to think about in this tale, privite, things that are kept hidden or secret. Uh, it could be, is here a guy, the idea of divine heavenly mysteries, the, you know, uh, theological mysteries, or uh, it could just be a secret plan. Um, and he's equating those, and they get equated in the story in interesting ways. And his, his rationale says, as long as he finds God's voice and God's plenty there, he says, look, basically what he's saying is that as long as my wife is sleeping with me and I'm getting all of that that I want, who cares about the rest? So the, the Miller has a very pragmatic approach to this, the, the problem of, uh, of infidelity. He says, I, I'm going to not inquire about it as long as, you know, she's putting out, I don't care who else she's sleeping with. Um, so, I mean, that, that in itself should give us an idea of what kind of story we're in for. Uh, so the Miller is not going to be dissuaded. He's going to go ahead. And the narrator jumps in around line 70 and says, um, Oh, you shouldn't read this one. This is this is a terrible story. I mean, I have to report it because that's my job. But he, he advises us: turn over the leaf and choose another tale, for he shall find enough, great and small, of historical historical things, and that toucheth gentilese, gentility, and eke morality and holiness. Blameth not me if that you choose amiss. The miller is a churl. You know well this. So was the reeve, eke, and other more, and harlotry they told in both two, adviseth you, and put me out of blame, and eke min sh- shall not make an earnest of game. So 
this little warning by the narrator says, oh, this, this is a bawdy, horrible tale. You, you, you shouldn't read this one. Uh, now, this is like when they put, you know, the parental warnings on, on music or, or movies. Uh, that lets kids know exactly what mu- music and movies and video games they want to play or read or see. Um, this is kind of, a, a, you know, a moral warning that makes the story more intriguing to us. All right. Let's get to the tale itself. It's told uh, dwelling in Oxenford, around at Oxford, um, there's a rich man who was a carpenter, and he's renting a room out to a local scholar, a, a clerk from Oxford. We have one of those in the, the Pilgrims of the Canterbury Tales. Uh, but this one is He's learned his art, but in it, but all his fantasy, all his his, his real interest was turned for uh, learning astrology. So he's very interested in astrology and the stars and all of this. And this clerk was clepid Hende Nicholas of Dernelov he could and of Solas, and thereto he was sly and full privy and like a maid, meek for to see. Um, so the name, his really his nickname, it, you, you notice how often it occurs when they say his name, is Hindi. Uh, that means handy. It can mean just near at hand. That's a, it's handy, it's, right, it's available, it's right to hand. Uh, it also means uh, skillful. You know, you know, a handyman, so he's skillful with his hands, clever, uh, skillful. Um, it can also mean uh, of a personality, somebody who's pleasant, who's courteous, gracious, kind, a nice guy. Uh, it also means uh, pleasing to look at, fair, pleasing to the eye. So it's got this whole constellation of meanings. There's no modern word that really has that, uh, but it really sums up Nicholas. It's the perfect adjective for Nicholas. And notice that it also says that he's sly and full privy, full secretive. And that word privite and variations of that word, like privy and privily, come up in the story again and again. This is a story very much about secrets and secretiveness. Um, So... He's uh, he's living there with the carpenter, and uh, along with that is the carpenter's wife. Um, and it tells us around line one fifteen of of eighteen year she was of age, jealous he was that is the carpenter, and held her narrow in cage, for she was wild and young, and he was old and deemed himself being like a cuckold. He's worried that somebody's going to sleep with her, that he'll be a cuckold. Um, he, he knew not uh, Canton, for his wit was rude that bad men should wed his similitude. So he doesn't know about uh, Dionysius Cato, who, who, had, who has said that people like people should marry like people, same age, same, uh, same class, all of that. Uh, he said, men should wedden after their estate. For youth and eld is often at debate. Uh, so this is an older man who's married a beautiful younger woman, and as many people in that circumstance, he's worried about her being faithful to him. And then we launch into this long description of of the wife. Um, 
from line 125 through about line 162. And notice the imagery that it uses to describe her. Fair was this young wife, and therewithal, as any weasel, her body gent and small. So it uses very kind of earthy images. Uh, she's like a weasel. Uh, later on around line uh, 150, it talks about, uh, but of her song it was as loud and yearn as any swallow sitting on a burn. Thereto she could skip and make a game as any calf or any kid or calf fouling his dame. Her mouth was sweet as braggart or the meath or, or hood of apples laid in hay or heath. Uh, wince, uh, wincing she was as is a jolly colt, long as a mast and upright as a bolt. Uh, now the the images that are being used here are very earthy images. There, there are these animals and everyday things. Uh, this is not a kind of a beautiful, romantic uh, roses and diamonds and all of that. In the in the knight's tale, the the central lady in that tale, Emily, has a as a description, but hers is all in the kind of romantic conventions of you know her cheeks like roses, her hair like gold, that kind of thing. Uh, this wife, Allison, we'll find out her name is, is described in a much more um, uh, down to earth way. We see the images kind of suit that. Um, and, of course, Nicholas uh, takes a, a fancy to her. Um, and look at, uh, it says around line 163. Now, sir, and eft, sir, so befell the case that on this day this Hindi Nicholas fell with this young wife to rage and play, while that her husband was at Ozenay, as clerks being full subtle and full, and full quaint. And privily he caught her by the quaint and said, You wis. But if it have my will, for darnly love of thee, Limon, I spill. So this is his his courtship. You have to get the get the image here. Privily, secretly, he kind of sneaks up and caught her by the quaint. Now the footnote will tell you quaint is an literally an elegant thing. That's a euphemism for the female genitals. So he comes up and grabs her crotch and says, truly. Unless I, I have my will for secret love of thee, my love, I spill. He says, I die. But, of course, the word spill, uh, relating as it does to liquid, has a, a, a connotation that he's, he's just going to bust um, if he doesn't get his way here. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a body sexual image here. Uh, and held her hard by the haunch bones, by the thighs, and said, Limon, Limon means sweetheart, my uh, love me all at once, or I will die, also God me save. Um, and she sprung as a colt doth in a trave, and with her head she uh, whirred fast about, away, and said, I will not kiss thee by my fay. Um, so she resists, but she doesn't seem to resist very long. Um, this Nicholas again mercy for to cry and spake so fair and so uh, proffered her uh, and, and proffered her so fast that she her love him granted at the last and swore her oath by Saint Thomas of Kent that she would be in at his commandment when that she may her, her lesser well espy.
It says, my husband is so full of jealousy that, but ye wait well and been privy. I wot right well, I am uh, but dead. Uh, quoth she, you must been full darren, full secret, as, as in this case. So she agrees to sleep with him, but she says, you know, we're going to have to be real careful. We can't let my husband know. We have to keep everything secret. And so the relationship with uh, uh, Allison and Nicholas starts up, but it hasn't been consummated yet. Um, then we get introduced to the next character, the fourth main character in the story, uh, Absalom. He's the parish clerk, so he's a, a, a clergyman uh, in town. And he's quite a dandy. Line two o five, curl curly was his hair, as and as the gold it shone, and strouted as a fan, large and broad, full straight and even lay his jolly shod. His uh, a road, his complexion was red, his eyne gray as as goose, gray as a goose. There again, so much of these descriptions have kind of farm farm animal uh, reference. Um, so now he is he's a more kind of conventional romantic figure um it says line uh, 223 he played songs on a small rubelli a fiddle uh, thereto he sung some time a loud quinnible and as well could he play uh, as on a git- guitar or a guitar uh, in all the town, nus brew house nor tavern that he ne visited with his solace. So he he plays in the in the bars and taverns. There uh, any galliard tapster was, but sooth to sayne, he was some deal squeamish of farting and of speech dangerous. Um, so he's a uh, he's a little prudish. He doesn't like vulgar talk, and he, he's, he's offended by farting, right? Um, that seems like kind of an odd character note, but it comes to be very significant later in the story. Now, Absalom also falls in love with the, with the wife, with Allison. Uh, it says, if she had been a mouse and he a cat, he would, uh, would her hint on, he would pounce on her right away. Now, uh, Absalom has a very different approach in his romance than uh, Hindi Nicholas did. Uh, he goes to the carpenter's house at night, uh, around line 250, uh, and dressed him up by a shot window that was upon the carpenter's wall. He singeth in his voice, gentle and small, Now, dear lady, if thy will be, I pray you that you will rue on me, full well accordant to his uh, gentermage, uh, in harmony with the guitar. So this is the kind of the romantic cliché, right? He's serenading her at the window. But he's serenading a married woman, at her window, and her husband is there in bed with her. Um, and so, the, you know, it says the, the carpenter asks, What, Allison, hearst thou not, Absalom, this, uh, that chanteth thus under our bower's wall, our bedroom wall? And, and, and she answered her husband there with all, Yes, God woot, John, I hear it every deal. I hear everybody of it. Here we get the names, Allison and John, for the wife and the carpenter. Uh, so this isn't terribly effective, right? He He's not as sly as Nicholas and uh, doesn't get as far. Uh, and she seems less interested in him. This kind of romantic uh, serenade at the window 
that doesn't really do it for Allison. Nicholas coming up and grabbing her by the crotch and saying, I want you, baby, that's kind of more her style. Um, now, Nicholas, though, has a plan to be able to sleep with Allison. Uh, look around line 291. And so befell it on a Saturday, this carpenter was gone to Ozené, and Hindi Nicholas and Allison accorded Bean to this conclusion, that Nicholas shall sharpen them a while, this selly, jealous husband, to beguile. There's that, the third a word that I asked you to look at, selly. Uh, it means happy, lucky, blissful, fortunate, uh, spiritually blessed, pious, innocent. Here mainly I think it means innocent. It, it has come to mean uh, silly, uh, pitiful, uh, feeble, uh, and it's the ancestor of our modern word, silly. And again, it's a very interesting constellation of meanings for John the carpenter here. Um, so he's coming up, this silly, jealous husband to beguile, and if so be this game of winter right, she shouldn't sleep in his arms all night. So, you know, they get to sleep on the, the afternoons where he goes into town, but they want to spend the whole night together. Uh, so he's got his plan all set up for that. And Nicholas's plan is to stay in his room until John starts to worry about him. He's, Nicholas is a good con man. He doesn't go to John. He makes John come to him. Um, and John does get worried around line uh, 344. This man is all with his astronomy in some woodenness or in some agony. I, I thought I well how that it should be. Men should not know of goddess privity. Ye blessed be always a lewd man that, uh, that not but only his uh, believer can. Uh, so here again, that word privity, he's saying he's, he's knowing heavenly secrets he shouldn't know. It's much better for a lewd, ignorant man like me. I just know, you know what they tell me in church. I don't go and think any farther. Um, so to find out what's going to happen, he has um, his servant, Robin. Uh, look around line uh, 356. Get me a staff that I may underspore, while thou, that thou, Robin, heavest up the door. He shall out of his studying, as I guess, and to the chamber door he gan himself, get him dress. His knave was a strong carl for the nannies, and by the hasp he half it up at once. Into the floor the door fell anon. This Nicholas sat I as still as stone." and ever capped uh, up into the air. All right. Now, notice that Robin sounds an awful lot like the miller. Uh, remember, the first line of, of the description of the miller in the general prologue is, the miller was a strong Carl for the nanes, uh, was a stout Carl for the nanes. This one is, his knave uh, was a strong Carl for the nanes. And if you remember in the description of the uh, of the miller, it said that he could pull any door off its hinges. Well, that's exactly what this servant Robin does. It's a wonderful little uh, point here that the the miller seems to be making a cameo appearance in his own story. Um, well, 
so they've broken in on his uh, room, and uh, Nicholas says, I-, I have to talk to you, John, but it has to be alone. We must speak in privite, he says, line 385, um, of certain things that toucheth me and thee. I will, uh, I will tell it none other man, certain. So you're not going to tell anybody else but you. Um, so when he gets him alone, he, he, he tells him the story. Um, it says, Monday next... Line 408, Monday next, at quarter night, shall fall a rain, and that so wild and wood, that half so great was never Noah's flood. This world, he said, in less than, less than an hour, shall all be drent, so hideous is the shower. Thou thus shalt mankind drench, and lose their life. This carpenter answered, Alas, my wife, and shall she drench? Alas, my Anne Allison! For sorrow and for and and for sorrow of this, he fell almost down, and said, "Is there no remedy in this case?" Now, this is this is an interesting plan. He's basically redoing the whole idea of Noah's flood, but it's really an interesting character note that the first thing the carpenter says is, "Alas, my wife." He doesn't think about himself. He thinks about his wife. I mean, he, he may be kind of the silly butt of the jokes here. But we get the idea that he actually really does care for Allison. Um, and Nicholas tells him that, well, no, we're going to be saved. Uh, yet shall I save uh, here and thee and her and thee and me, line 425. Um, and what they're going to do, line uh, 440, a kneading trowel or else a, a kimelin, uh, a brewing uh, tub uh, for each of us, uh, but look that they be large, in which we may and swim as in a barge, and hand therein vital vital sousaphant enough food, uh, but for a day fie on the remnant, the water shall a, 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 a slake and go away about prime upon the next day. But Robin may not wit of this thy knave, Naik uh, thy uh, maid, Gil, Jill, I may not save. Um, so he's telling him, this is, uh, I, I will not tell him God is privite. This is, a, you know, the reason for that is is a mystery of God. So you can't tell any of the other servants what we're doing. And of course, that's because they probably wouldn't be taken in by this trick. Um, so what they're going to do is they're going to hang these three uh, tubs, uh, the uh, you know, brewing tubs, big barrels, up in the rafters of the barn, and have an axe there so that when the water comes, they can cut the rope and they'll just float on the on the water. It'll, they don't have to build an ark. They just have three tubs. And he says, "Don't worry. In a day, it'll, the water will all go down and it'll be fine." Um, have an axe to smite the cord of two when that the water cometh that we may go. Um, and again, have to be uh, have to be silent about this. And also, when they get into the the tubs, line uh, four eighty, uh, for it is God's own hest dear hest dear his commandment dear thy wife and thou mot hang far a twain. Uh, for that between you shall there be no sin. 
So you have to be quiet, and you have to. You and Allison will be on the farthest away. I'll be in the middle tub uh, because the, you don't want to talk or have any sinfulness between you. Um, and says, this Selly carpenter goeth forth his way, for oft he said, alas, and well away. And to his wife he told his private, and she was ware, and knew it bet than he, than he with uh, what all this quaint cast was for him to say. Uh, so she already knows the, the, the trick of what they're doing. And when it comes to time, they do exactly that. Um, they uh, uh, They get up in the uh, rafters. They each sit in a barrel, and once they hear that uh, John has gone to sleep, line five forty, down off the ladder stalketh Nicolay, and Allison full soft down she sped. Without word is more, they gone to bed. There is the carpenter is wont to lie. There was the revel and the melody, and then thus lith Elias, Allison, and Nicholas, in business of mirth and of solace, till that the bell of lords gan to ring, and uh, friars in the chancel gone a sing. It's very ironic. They're they're making love until the the, the bells ring in the church. Um, the lords is the first church service before daybreak, so it's just before dawn. Now, it happens that the parish clerk, Amorous Absalon, uh, is around two, and Absalon is determined that he's going to get a kiss from uh, Allison. And in fact, he, he freshens up his breath. Uh, it has a breath mat around line 580. Up this jolly lover Absalon, and him arrayeth gay at point de vis, and but first he cheweth grain and licorice to smell and sweet, ere uh, he had combed his hair. So he, even before he combs his hair, and we know how important his long blonde hair is to him, he he takes some some licorice and uh, something to make his breath smell really fresh. Um. So he he comes in and uh, says around line five ninety five. Uh, no wonder is though that I uh, swelt and sweat. I mourn as doth a lamb after the teat. You wis, Limon, I hear I have such love longings that like a turtle true is my mourning. I may not uh, eat no more than a maid. So he's, you know, using these uh, love like a turtle a turtle dove. Uh, um, he's He can't eat any more than a little girl. Um, and Allison says, go from the window. Says, I love another, and else I were to blame. Uh, now, she doesn't say that, of course, she's married, that I guess he assumes the other she loves is her husband, though it's actually Nicholas. Um, and he says, Well, kiss me. You know, just give me one kiss, and then, then I'll go away. Says, you promise you're going to go away? And Absalom promises that he will. And so, oh, around line 622, this Absalom can wipe his mouth full dry. Dark was the night, as pitch or as the coal, and at the window out she put her hole, and Absalom, him fell no bet no worse, but with his mouth he kissed her naked erse, full savorly, ere he were aware of this. Aback he start, and thought it was amiss, for well he wist a woman hath no beard. He felt a thing all rough and long-haired, 
He said, Fie, alas, what have I do? Tee-hee, quoth she, and clapped the window to. And Absalom goeth forth, a sorry pass. A beard, a beard, quoth Hindi Nicholas. By God is corpus, this goeth fair and well. Uh, this silly Absalom has every deal, and on his lip he began for anger bite, and to himself he said, I shall thee quite. All right. So yes, this is the high-minded masterpieces of British literature, and our, our first real story here in, in the uh, Chaucer is about a guy kissing a woman's ass. Uh, that's what happens here, right? It's so dark he can't see. He's kissing her, and but he kisses her. Wait, this is women aren't hairy like this. Oh my god! Um, and remember, this is a guy who is you know very prudish and squeamish, um, and he wants revenge now. He says he rubbeth now uh, with uh, froth now his lips with dust with sand with straw with cloth with chips so he's trying to wipe that horrible taste out of his mouth you know kissing her ass uh, he said from for from the time that he had kissed her earth uh, of, and of paramours he said not a curse for he was uh, healed of his malady so all that kind of romantic stuff just right out the window um and he comes upon the smith, who is forging a, a coulter. Now, a coulter is the part of a plow that cuts the soil. It's kind of like a long blade of, of a knife. Um, and he says, could I, uh, you know, borrow that hot coulter for a minute? Um, and the smith says, well, okay, if you want to. Uh, now, again, he's taking it right out of the, the, the smith's fire. So it's red hot. Um, and it, of course, it cools down a little, I guess, by the time he gets back to Nicholas, uh, to uh, Allison's house. But still, it's it's very hot. And Absalom goes back to the window and says, line uh, 686, and he says, uh, I, I, my darling, uh, I have thee brought a ring. My mother gave it me, so God me save. Full fine it is, and thereto well ye grave. This will I give thee if thou me kiss. I have a, I have a golden ring for my mother, and I'll give it to you if you give me one more kiss. And basically, he's saying, "Yeah, why don't you try that again, Allison?" Um, this Nicholas, right as this happens, was risen for to piss uh, in a, you know the chamber pot they, they uh, would piss in, and says and thought he would amenden all the jape. Uh, he, he's going to improve on the joke the second time. Um, he should uh, kiss his arse ere that he scape. And up to the window did he hastily, and out his arse he putteth privily, over the buttock to the haunch bone. So Nicholas says, oh, this is going to be even better. He's going to kiss my ass now. Uh, and therewith spake this clerk, this Absalom, Speak, sweetie bird, I know not where thou art. This Nicholas, anon, let flee a fart, as great it, as it had been a thunder dent, that with the stroke he, he was almost blint, almost blinded, uh, and he was, was ready with his iron hot. And Nicholas, amid the arse, he smot. Off goeth the skin, and hand broad about, the hot coulter burned so his tout that for the smart he winded for to die. All right, so 
he sticks out, you know, Nicholas sticks out his ass, and uh, Absalom says, I can't quite see you. Let me know who you are. And so Nicholas farts. Yes, masterpieces of British literature. We are talking about fart jokes. Um, and when he realizes where it is, he slams that hot metal against it, and it takes the skin off, a hand's, a hand's breadth width of skin off. And, of course, Nicholas is screaming, um, he wind and for to die, and as as he were wood or crazy, for he for woe he began to cry, help, water, water, help, for God is heart. So he's calling water, water. He's got you know he's, he's, his his ass is on fire. Um, this carpenter, out of his slumber, start and heard one cry, water, as he were wood, and thought, alas, now cometh Noah's flood. Uh, he set him up without in words more, and with his axe he smote the cord too, and down goeth all he found n- neither to sell nor breed nor ale, till he came to the uh, cell upon the floor, and there a swoon he lay. So the carpenter hears somebody shouting, Water! Water! And say, Oh, it's the flood! I've got to cut the rope! So he cuts the rope. Of course, there's no water for it to sail on. It just He just falls to the ground and gets knocked out. No. Up, up start here now Allison and Nicolay, and cried and out and harrow in the street. The neighbors, both small and great, in uh, in running for to garron on this man, that answer that, that a swoon lay both pale and wan, for with the fall he brosted and had his arm, but stoned he most unto his own harm, for. When he spake, he was anon bore down with Hindi Nicholas and Alison. They told every man that he was wood. He was aghast so of Noah's flood through fantasy that of his vanity he had ye brought him kneading tubbis three and had them hanged in the roof above and that he prayed him uh, for God's love to smiten in the roof par compagnie. So, of course, Allison and Nicholas aren't going to back up John's story and say, well, I don't know what he's doing. He's crazy. He, thought, he thinks there was going to be a Noah's flood. Where did he get that idea? Um, so they're able to pass it off and not get in trouble for what they've done. Now, it's wonderful the way that this whole kind of story hinges on that word water because we get two of these comic plots coming together. We get um, uh, Absalom's revenge and also we get um, uh, the the trick that Nicholas was playing on John all kind of come cra- literally crashing down all at the same time. Um the folk, again laughing at his fantasy, into the roof they uh, they kick into the the cape, uh, and they cape, uh, and turned all his harm unto a jape. So they're laughing at his misery, um, the way we are laughing at Nicholas, for example. Um, for what so that this carpenter answered, it was for naught. No man his reason heard, though so nobody's paying any attention to him. Um, they said, The man was wood, my levy brother, and every white gan laughing at this strife. Thus swived was the carpenter his wife. Swived uh, is a, a Middle English equivalent of the F word. Swived was the carpenter's wife, 
for all his keeping. You know, no, however closely John guarded her, he, he, she was sleeping with another man in his own bed, and his all his keeping and his jealousy. And Absalom has kissed her nether eye, and Nicholas is scalded in the toot. This tale is done, and God save all the root. All right, so that's the the ending to the the story. Um, now this is very different tonally from as you can imagine, from The Knight's Tale, which is uh, comes to a conclusion where it talks about the nature of fate and free will and how destiny has a plan for us all and we can't really know uh, how God's God works in mysterious ways. It's all of these kind of issues that The Knight's Tale is dealing with. This isn't dealing with any of that. This is not a, a universe where God has a great secret providential plan for everything. This is a, a world of farce. Um, it's also not a world of justice. Um, you, you know, you might say that, well, John was got what he deserved because he was jealous, but it seems kind of excessive. Um, and uh, e- even if you see some kind of uh, moral uh, punishment for Nicholas and for Absalom, the two suitors, why isn't Allison punished at all? The wife just gets away scot-free. Nothing bad's happened to her at all. She just got what she wanted. Um, it, it's it's an amoral story. There is no moral to it. It is just about laughing and having fun and silliness. Um, and so it makes a wonderful counterpoint with the very uh, uh, philosophically serious Knight's Tale. And it also brings up one of the underlying themes in the Canterbury Tales is how do we evaluate stories? Uh, remember that the host said that the story that had best sentence and most solace would be the one that won. Uh, well, in terms of sentence and sort of meaning or message or moral uplift, the Miller's Tale is pretty weak. It scores pretty low on that. On the other hand, in terms of solace, in terms of entertainment, uh, in terms of making you making you laugh, of, of keeping you interested in the story, it's an awfully well done tale. This is probably you know I, I mentioned that last time that this is a uh, the genre of the fablio, which was a, a story of, of of peasants and usually sexual intrigue among them and tricks like are played here. Um, and this is probably the best fablio uh, that was ever written. It's beautifully constructed. It's even got beautiful things like the, the description of Allison, which, uh, again, doesn't have high-flown rhetoric, but is beautifully done and very evocative. Um, and, of course, it's just funny. It's, um, you know, we get... We get fart jokes and ass jokes and um, we get to make fun of a, 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 a foolish old man who's uh, afraid his wife is going to sleep with somebody and he makes it certain certain that they can sleep together. Uh, it's got all of that kind of stuff going for it. Uh, so, But it brings up the idea, well, okay, so is this a is this a good story? In moral terms, you would have to say, no, this is not a good story. It doesn't teach any lesson. It's not uplifting. It doesn't uh, uh, bring us any closer to God. It doesn't do any of the things that a good moral story is supposed to do. And yet, is this a good story? Well, hell yes. It's hilarious, and it's well-made, and it's it's uh, clever and funny, and does 
all the things a good story is supposed to do. Uh, so Chaucer is always in the background making us think about what our uh, our system of evaluation is for stories. What makes a story good or bad? What do we like about stories? Why do we judge one better than another? And uh, the Miller brings up a lot of those issues in a very entertaining way. All right, for next time, we're going to talk about the Wife of Bath's prologue and tale. Now, as you'll see, her prologue is very long. It's actually longer than her tale. And the prologue divides into two sections, and there's a kind of an interruption that shows you the dividing line between them. The first section is the wife kind of making a a defense of herself. Uh, She's saying that I'm a, uh, I've been married five times, and why that's okay. And she actually gets into a lot of theological arguments about it. And I want you to notice, what does she say is her, uh, gives her the authority to speak about these matters? And what kind of arguments does she use? Where does she draw her evidence from? And what is the argument that she's making? What is she in favor of? And what is she opposing? Then the, the second half of her prologue is her biography. She talks about being married to five husbands, and she goes through them and talks about them. And she says that she had that some of the husbands were good and some were bad. And notice what criteria she uses. What make why were the good husbands good? Why were the bad husbands bad? Uh, what what according to the wife makes a good husband or a bad one? And Notice her relationships with these different husbands. Which one, which ones did she care for the most? Which ones did she dislike, uh, and why? What were their relationships like? Then, after this very long preamble, we get her story. Now, it's a it's a an Arthurian romance. Uh, you know, same like like Gawain and the Green Knight, but actually quite different. Uh, and think about the story in terms of how it relates to her prologue. If you just read, think about it this way, if you just read this story, how would you take it differently than you would if you, having just read the the prologue? What does it tell us, in other words, about the wife herself, about what she values, about what she wants, uh, about uh, about her? How is this story a reflection of her and her values? And we'll be talking about all of that for next time. I hope you'll enjoy that. Uh, if you have any questions, just send me an email at drmarkwomack at gmail.com. Thanks once more for your attention, and I will talk to you next time.